Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. From the Financial Times in London, I'm Tom Burgess and this is FT Investigations. Once again, there's uncertainty over the future of British nuclear energy. The expansion of Hinkley Point, a nuclear plant in southwest England, is in doubt. The French company planning to build the facility said it needed financial support from the French government before it could proceed. The £18 billion project, which is eventually supposed to supply 7% of the UK's energy, is already delayed and over budget. Earlier this month, EDF's chief financial officer resigned, saying he couldn't stand by and watch the company gamble its future on the British project. So what lies at the root of all this trouble? We've been looking not so much at the finance, but rather the design of the reactor itself. The history of the European Pressurised Reactor, or EPR, isn't a happy one. And understanding that helps to understand the difficulties with Hinkley Point and to gauge the likelihood that the thing will ever get built. We're privileged to have on the line Bertrand Barret, one of the leading figures of the French nuclear energy industry over recent decades, who's been described to me as one of the fathers of the EPR. And in the studio in London, I'm joined by Kieran Stacey, our energy correspondent. Bertrand, if I could start with you. You've worked in the French nuclear industry for a long time, including as an advisor to the chairperson of Areva, who designed the EPR. Could you take us back to the genesis of this type of reactor, to the time after the 70s and 80s and the nuclear scares and disasters that culminated in Chernobyl and widespread public suspicion of nuclear energy. That was the moment, as I understand it, that French and German scientists got together and began to design this new type of reactor. How were you involved in that and what were they trying to achieve? Well, you're right. The EPR is really issued from the Chernobyl disaster. Not really in terms of technology, because RBMK, the kind of reactor which exploded in Chernobyl, was very different from the type of reactor we had in the West. But the very principle of contaminating a country or even a continent was completely unacceptable. And so we somehow changed the safety philosophy following this accident. Before the accident, when designing a reactor, you define the so-called design basis accident, we call it DBA, which was a serious accident, but not the worst possible. And we had to demonstrate that the reactor would somehow survive this DBA. But if something more severe than the DBA was happening, the idea was the likelihood is so low that it is tolerable somehow. The principle of the design beforehand is that if something is incredibly unlikely, you can kind of just get away with it. Well, the idea was the probability of an accident more severe than the VBA was low, and somehow we took the chance. But after Chernobyl, no longer. After Chernobyl, the new design, we have to demonstrate that they are able to withstand the worst possible accident, and we mean 
the full meltdown of the whole core, and of course the reactor is dead. But we do not have to evacuate people for any length of time following the accident because we are able to contain radioactivity. And so the EPR has a number of additional systems, first to lower the probability of a severe accident, but also to mitigate the consequences if such accident were to happen. Kira and I have been reporting this story together and we've been going through the plans and we've seen the 3D plans for these plants and you can see the huge dome of reinforced steel of the vessel. You can see the duplicate backup safety systems, the enormous core catcher system beneath the reactor itself. To what extent are those safety features responsible for the delays that we've seen in the attempts to actually build the EPR, first in Finland, then in France itself, also in China, and in the future, if it gets the go-ahead at Hinkley Point. You're right, it is part of the problem. You have a lot more steel, a lot more concrete, and within the concrete, the reinforced bars are extremely tight, and so it is difficult to build. But that's not the complete story. Part of the story, it is also... There are prototypes, and you know that in any industry, prototypes are late and overcost. Just take a look at the aircraft industry. You know, the Dreamliner of Boeing was four years late, double the cost anticipated, but it will still be a, a quite a big commercial success now. And to some extent, we anticipate that the EPR, if indeed there is a series of them, will follow the same learning curve. The theory, Bertrand, is that even though the projects in Finland and France have gone billions of euros over budget and are years late, that gradually EDF is learning from those mistakes and will therefore be able to deliver Hinkley Point closer to budget and with fewer delays. Kieran, is that what you understand, that the British government believes that Hinkley Point is still feasible within a reasonable budget and reasonable time frame? Well, that's certainly what they say, but in a way it almost doesn't matter to the British government. Not that it doesn't matter, but it's it's not up to them. What they've always said is that they are technology neutral. So while they do want to support new nuclear, if it happens to be EDF with the EPR that gets in there first at Hinkley Point, great. If Hitachi, which is building a nuclear power station on Anglesey in Wales, gets there first, then great. If there's another consortium of companies that are building one in Cumbria gets there first, that's also fine. What they've done is structured the contract so that none of these companies will get any money until they start producing electricity. So in a way for the British government, the only thing that matters is that there is electricity coming through by 2025. And if if it turns out the nuclear power plant's not ready by then, they'll have to find other ways of doing that. That probably, by the way, will mean more interconnection, particularly with France, which means basically taking up more of their nuclear power. But certainly if you talk to ministers, they say, you know, they're fairly confident EDF can see through their plans. But do we think EDF can stay standing? I mean, its own finance boss walks out saying, basically, we haven't got the balance sheet to do this. You and Michael Stothard, one of our correspondents in Paris, had a story in the past few days about EDF turning now also to the French government for financial support, just as it's already secured a guarantee from the British government. You know, EDF is one of the biggest utilities in the world. If it's struggling to finance one of these projects, can they be done in this way? Can they be paid for in this way? 
I think it's a really good question about whether they can be paid for by private companies at all. These are enormous infrastructure projects. And really, I think we're finding out they can only really be financed by government entities. EDF is 85% government owned. The Chinese investors are also Chinese government backed. This isn't really doable by the private sector. I think that's one of the big lessons we've learned. Whether that means that future British governments decide to take the risks and therefore the cost savings onto their own balance sheet remains to be seen. It's certainly something this government has proved very unwilling to do. Some people in the industry says the government doesn't mind nationalised industries as long as they're not British nationalised industries. Well, and that brings us nicely back to you, Bertrand. For France, exporting nuclear technology and prowess around the world has been a point of pride for many years. It's been one of the things that French industry does best. It's done it all over the world. And certainly under Nicolas Sarkozy, there was a plan to sort of rejuvenate the French export presence, if you like, in the nuclear market. The difficulties with the EPR have really blown a bit of a hole in that idea, haven't they, of Areva and EDF being these kind of world market leaders in exporting nuclear technology? We are in a hole, as you say, more or less, but the end of the tunnel is not very far. In a few, very few years, both uh, the Finnish and the French reactors will actually be producing electricity. Even before that, the two uh, Chinese EPRs will be in operation, and uh, when this happens, we will be building uh, Inkley Point, and at the time, things will look a lot better. We are somehow at the worst position now, but the uh, end of the tunnel is not too far. There have been a few failures, though, to export the EPR to other new markets. Do you think that it is going to be the kind of flagship reactor for the French nuclear industry, or will that be something else? Well, EPR is not the only uh, model that uh, France is offering. As you know, there is a kind of smaller model called ATMEA that is probably being built in Turkey. And so EPR is big. It's made for huge grids. ATMEA would be for smaller grids or maybe less well interconnected with the neighbors. And I think that there is a real prospect, but as you've mentioned, Presently, we are still to prove that we are able to finish the first four. After there will be Inkley Point, Sizewell probably, and there are prospects also in India, maybe South Africa. Wait and see. Kieran, specifically in the UK, the big question is to what extent can EDF learn from what is meant to be its prototype at Flamanville in France, where there's been a host of problems that you've been looking into? I think one of the most interesting things that I've discovered while doing this story is exactly what the problems have been at Flamanville, which, as you say, is way over budget and way over schedule. The kind of things we're talking about, you were talking about safety before and just how safe these EPR plants are. For instance, the concrete they used is so heavily reinforced by steel that when they were building at Flamanville, they couldn't actually fit components into the concrete when they'd actually built it because there was too much steel in there. They couldn't fit the pipes through the mass of steel that ran through this concrete. It sounds like fairly basic engineering stuff that they were getting wrong here. EDF quite freely admits there are massive problems with their project management. They should have known about issues like this. They also had an issue with the quality of steel with which they've capped and bottomed out the reactor vessels. There are impurities there which never should have been there. So they've had to come up with a new way of making that steel. They say they've learned from all of these. 
I think only when they get round to building Hinkley Point will we find out if there are other gremlins that appear with their new set of contractors. But certainly they're quite honest in saying that Flamanville has been badly managed and they say they've learnt from that. Well, time will tell. Bertrand Barre, enormously good of you to be with us. Kieran Stacey, always a pleasure. Our producer was Fiona Simon. For more podcasts, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.